0: When the market goes down, good deals are everywhere. So now I have too many projects. When the market goes down, it's a little harder to sell. But if you are able to get really good deals, you don't have to worry about selling it.
1: You're listening to the Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with the one, the only, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you?
2: Uh, I am doing (laughs) fantastic, but how about you? I want to ask you, how are you doing today, Miss Dickerson? Because I know you've got a lot going on with travel and you're going to some pretty fun places coming up here in the coming weeks. So share with the audience. What are you doing? That's right.
1: Oh my gosh. I've been on this journey (laughs) to peek behind the proverbial curtain. I feel like I'm in the Wizard of Oz and I just want to like peek behind the curtain, see what's back there, going down all these rabbit holes. You know, like how you and I talk about when we first got into real estate, it was like the bigger pockets rabbit hole. And then we were like blogs and podcasts and like digging under every stone to figure out what was the right path for us. I feel like I'm sort of doing that on the spiritual mindset, personal growth side of things and just trying to see like, what is this? Are we living in the matrix? Like, Where are we? What are we here to do? And like, following people, Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden, and all these giants in this quantum space, this personal development space that I didn't even know about before. And so you know me, I always love new things. I always love checking things out. So I'm just curious and open. And so this weekend, actually both my husband and I will be going to an event in Denver where we'll get entrained. It's a chiropractic term. So we're getting trained by the wizard himself, a guy named Donnie Epstein, who created this whole network spinal chiropractic field. It's this whole deep rabbit hole that if any listeners out there want to talk about it, you can contact me personally, but it's such a fun journey to be on because there's all these things that I never knew about.
2: Oh yeah. And guys, she told me this last time that she went to like outer space or what was your word? I forget what your word was.
1: Yeah was like me on on this chiropractic table. And I really felt like I was on another, like not even on another planet, but just floating out in outer space. And you enter this like portal where you're just like in another dimension it's like you're high but you're not it's <laughs> i can't even explain it it's like an out of body experience and when i experience things that like that i'm just like oh my gosh i want to know like how is this happening why is this happening how can i get more of this and then how can i bring not the woo woo like way out in space stuff but how can i bring the more practical elements of that into what we do at good egg and inspire people to take action or motivate them, reach whatever their goals are. So that's like how I'm bringing it back because through things like Ikigai, which I learned about and I talked about in one of our recent newsletters, it's things like that, that I'm hoping to discover and introduce to our audience.
2: And real quick, just for anyone who didn't get the newsletter, what is Ikigai? What does that mean? So Ikigai
1: is a Japanese concept and it essentially means the reason for being. And so a lot of people focus on what I'm really good at or what makes me money, and then they're finding they're missing a little piece. And so guy, and you can just Google it for any listeners who are out there, I-K-I-G-A-I, just Google it. You'll see a Venn diagram. It's got four different components to it. And so ideally you're living at the center of that. That's what the reason for being, that's your ikigai and everybody's is different, but it's at the intersection of what you love to do, what you're good at, what makes you money and what impacts the world. And if you can unlock that, most of the times we get two, maybe three of them, but we're missing a piece. But if you can figure out what's at that center for you, and that is your reason for being.
2: Yeah. And it's so fascinating because when you think about how we ended up here, I feel mm-hmm. like it's sort of us on this journey yeah. of finding our Ikigai. Yeah. For me, it certainly has been. Mm-hmm. I know it's been you as well. But so much of what we do every day, and I've always said this, that if there's anything I'm going to pour myself into, it's going to be something that gives me all of those things, right? It's not just about money. It's not just about impact and it's not just about giving back and all these things, but it's about sort of the intersection of all of these places. And every morning when I get to get up in the morning, like today, I got to look at my schedule and like team meetings, like meetings on a deal, recording a podcast, doing a one-on-one with you later. So impactful for me. gives my life so much meaning. And you introduced Ikigai to me and was such a great word to give you the vocabulary you need to find some answers and direction in your life so
1: and it's a great thing to teach our kids too so for any listeners out there who have kids you know bring this up at the dinner table and you'd be surprised how much your kids intuitively know about these concepts and then you can ask them what do you love to do okay well let's brainstorm if you love to do that how can you become really good at that and how can you make money from that and how can you impact others through that and it's such a fun exercise to just to get them to think about it from such an early age, because it's something I didn't discover till way down in my career path. But with that, let's transition and talk a little bit about our guest today, Elisa Covington. She is the founder and CEO of Transform Real Estate Investments. And talk about guy. I mean, Elisa has really found her sweet spot through flipping homes in the Bay Area. And she talks about how she started out, really, she kind of fell into it. And then through a layoff, it sort of shoved her more into this space. But she started out just buying a condo and then turned that into, she took out a loan from the HELOC, the home equity line of credit there. And then she was able to get a rental property and that rental property needed some fixing up. So she and her now husband sort of rolled up their sleeves and did a lot of that. And they realized they could build equity that way. And through that, then had this started flipping homes as a side hustle until eventually she's gotten to the point where she is now, where this absolute real estate machine that she's built.
2: I think it's really interesting. We've had a lot of guests on the show now over the last couple of years, and there seems to be a sort of a running theme of people who are successful in the real estate space and the steps that they took to get to that point. And one of the two things that I see that people do is one, they educate themselves and then two, they find a mentor. And because of those two things, it enables them to figure out how to navigate this new world of investing and then two, not make mistakes or at least not make really costly mistakes. I think making mistakes are, is great, but when you're in the world of real estate, it can be hundreds of Thousands of dollars, that mistake will cost you, or worse, millions. And so, hiring a coach, making sure that you're doing the education piece before you get into something seems to be a running theme. But even with those things, she did have a deal that went wrong. And we talked a little bit about that. But it was really interesting to learn that she actually, even though the deal went wrong, she still made a profit. And it's in those moments when things are just not going right and you can still come out of it alive where it gives us the confidence to do more as it did for Elisa. So it was a great story. And at the very tail end, we got to ask her what her sort of thought process is right now and approaching flipping deals and development deals as we potentially roll into some kind of a recession, maybe. And so it was interesting to hear her way that she looks at doing deals to account for this in the flipping world. And so it was a great conversation with Elisa.
1: Well, speaking of education and mentorship, for anybody listening who may be new to the world of real estate syndications, which is what we focus on at Good Egg Investments, passive investing in these multifamily and commercial real estate investments, we've got a great resource to get you started on your education journey. And it's a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good, and we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. Just go to goodeginvestments.com book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Elisa Covington. Elisa, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Annie. Well, now, Lisa, I want to start here because so many of us have had that experience of walking into a real estate property and seeing clutter everywhere, right? Paint Mm -hmm. peeling off the walls, old dingy carpets, and you just get that smell that's like, oh, what is that? And most of us turn around, we want to run the other way, and we're like never going back in there again, right? (laughs) But I know there are some special people in the world, yourself included, who step into a place like that or maybe not quite in that condition, but you see through all of that and you see the vision and the opportunity. And over the last Mm -hmm. several years, you've built up an impressive track record as a real estate investor and developer, and you've successfully completed about 50 real estate projects to date, which is absolutely incredible. And what's even more incredible is that you're now working many fewer hours than you did working your W-2 job, yet your income and your profits are significantly higher. And I know our listeners are going to want to hear all about that. But before we get into all your successes and what you're up to these days, start by sharing with us a little bit more about how you got into real estate in the first place.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I started in real estate when I purchased my first home. I bought a short sale in San Francisco. It was a condo. And I didn't know about the term house hacking. But what I did with my first home was essentially that I lived in one bedroom and rented out the other bedroom in the condo. And that was very eye opening to me because I had no idea about all the tax benefits of having a rental or how to build like the value, how could the value appreciate so much after just a short amount of time in real estate. And so that was pretty much my first step into real estate investing. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the rent income, the tax benefits, and then I use the equity in that home to borrow a HELOC. And just two years later, I think, and using that HELOC, the loan, I was able to purchase my first rental property, also a condo in San Francisco.
1: Mm, okay. You mentioned a few terms there that are some of our listeners may not be familiar with. So I want to circle back
0: real quick. Mm-hmm. What is a short sale? So a short sale usually happens when the market declines. When a property owner purchases a home at a higher point of the market, their loan amount is pretty big. And then once the market starts to decline, the value of the home could be less than the loan amount that they are still owe on the house. So that's when a lot of homeowners decide to give up on their home and they want to sell it either they can't pay the mortgage or something else and then if the bank agrees for them to sell the house at less than the loan amount then they can make the short sale happen but the homeowner usually they don't get anything from the sale
2: I'm curious Elisa real quick what year did you buy this condo so that we have a famous? It was yeah it was 2012 when okay. the
0: real estate market was pretty much at the rock bottom after the 2008 Great recession, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So then you
0: sort of use the HELOC strategy. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about that. So the HELOC is once you have a lot of equity in your home, you can borrow a HELOC, and they give you a time frame, maybe ten years or twenty years. You can borrow money anytime in the time frame, and you only pay interest on the money you owe. So it's not like if you don't owe anything, you don't have to pay any interest, which is really nice. And the interest rate is usually related to the prime rate. So at that time, I got the interest rate at prime plus one. And I did another HELOC, I think it was like a year ago or two years ago, when the interest rate was really, really low, and I was able to get prime plus a quarter. So the rate was really low.
1: That's almost like free money right there.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so then you took out this home equity line of credit and then you used it to then buy your first rental property. So tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about what happened next.
0: Sure. Yeah. The rental property was a fixer upper. It was a rental for many, many years and wasn't maintained. So, my then boyfriend, now husband, actually helped me with the DIY remodel, wanted to save on the renovation. So, my husband is very handy. So, he's like, oh, I can do all the work myself, like installing, we installed a new kitchen, peel out the carpet, and put in all new laminate floors. And it did save some money, probably. 10 20 000 easily but it also took so long we spent two months renovating a 500 square foot condo and we were there every weekend both of us had yep. our full-time jobs and we were there every weekend and work our <laughs> butt off and at the end we were like oh probably it wasn't worth the savings <laughs> It took a lot longer. If we hire professionals probably take like two, three weeks, but it took us two months and it was very
2: stressful. What kind of value did you create by doing this renovation? Like, can you explain that a little bit? Like, why do we do the renovation? What outcome are we hoping to achieve? And what did that look like for you in this scenario? Sure. Yeah. For my rental
0: property, I purchased it for like in the low 500s. And after we did the renovation, and I also rented it out as a high end furnished rental for about a year, managed it myself. And then after a year, I realized that the value appreciated again. So I was able to sell it for over 700,000.
2: Wow. How much of that do you feel like was from the renovation that you did versus just like the natural progression of like 2012 to whenever you sold?
0: It's hard to say, but I think usually when I do a renovation, I look for at least two dollars return on a dollar of investment. So if I spent fifty thousand, then the return would be a hundred thousand at least. Mm-hmm. yeah, it can be more or less sometimes, like depending it's very hard to separate the value that's created by the renovation versus the value that's from natural appreciation, but that's kind of the rule of thumb that I go with.
2: That must be kind of hard to gauge because if you can't really tell, is it the market or is it the renovation? Like how do you then decide how much you want to invest. I mean, you have your rule of thumb, but at the end of the day, I guess it's more of just like a guess of like, I think I'm going to make double or...
0: It's actually... So a lot of people probably think that house flipping is really risky because they think, oh, you put in this much money and you don't know how much you're going to get out of it. To me, it's actually not the case. I don't see house flipping as a risky business. I see it as if you know what you're doing it's actually your profit is pretty safe. And even if you don't make a profit, when the market changes drastically, I still try to at least break even. And it doesn't seem like it's that difficult to do that from based on my experience so far. So I think the way I calculate how much money I'm going to spend and how much money I'm going to make is probably a little different than what you imagine. I actually go kind of backwards. I use the comparable sales in the area to tell me how much a renovated home or an updated home at least sells in the neighborhood and then that's my after repair value and from there i deduct all the expenses like the finance costs and rehab costs closing costs etc and then i get to the max purchase price so you want to make sure that the arv starts at the right place if you inflate the arv for some reason, and then you underestimate your rehab cost, then the whole formula would go wrong and then you won't make a profit. But as long as you control that you're conservative with your ARV and you try to budget your rehab correctly, or at least you want to make sure that you cover everything. Sometimes you want to add a little buffer to that too. And
2: then your profit would be pretty safe. So you had the first rental property and I'm guessing Mm -hmm. that that's how you became interested in flipping houses was because Mm -hmm. you kind of did a mini flip there because now you've done over 50 deals. I think Annie said, right at this point, how did you move from, it's always an interesting story, like to understand how you go from doing like one, Rental property. If anyone out there is listening and they're like, I have a rental property, I think I can sell, I have some equity. How do you go from that to like where you are today in terms of like realizing this is a business and like treating it like a business and actually seeing opportunity where your values or your skill sets contribute to whatever it is? Because there's so many things you could do in real estate too. What did Mm -hmm. that transition look like? What was the sort of the moment where you're like, I can leave my job? Was it after that first deal? Was it after the second or third? What did that look like for you?
0: So it sounds like a cliche, but I actually got inspirations from HGTV shows like Fixer Upper, Flip or Flop. After I purchased my first home, bought my first rental and remodeled it, my husband introduced me to HGTV. And I was watching the shows. I really enjoyed it. And like one day, it was a light bulb moment. I was like, wait, this is exactly what I did with my first home and my rental because I remodeled both places. And the value increased a lot after the renovations were done. And That's how I realized that this could be a business because I had no idea. I thought people just buy real estate and become landlords. (laughs) So that's when I was like, oh yeah, this sounds fun. I want to pursue it. And then I started taking some courses and also educated myself from online resources, from books, et cetera. And then I decided to jump in. So that's when I was still working a nine to five job. I started like this as a side
2: hustle. How long did you do this as a side hustle together with your W-2? Was it a short period or years? It
0: was almost a year. Okay. So I started it as a side hustle in the beginning of 2017. And I flipped a, a house in about like six months my first project took really long. It was a nightmare. <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. of unexpected well, happened. Of it was <laughs> the Murphy's law, like anything that could go wrong, went wrong. I, <laughs> yeah, it was so painful. <laughs> and then after that one, I still was able to make some profit though. I have a good mentor. So the mentor really helped me guide me through the first deal. Without the mentor, I probably would have lost money and never wanted to flip a house again. But because I was able to go through that experience, I was able to make a profit. So it gave me some confidence and I want to keep doing it. But it's interesting that the whole year in 2017, I really wanted to quit my job. I was not passionate about it. I was so bored of my job and I wanted to quit it and do house flipping as my business and as my full time. So I wanted to do it, but I couldn't pull the trigger. I was too chicken to (laughs) to do it. I was thinking about it, but at the end of 2017, I got laid off and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) It was the push that I really needed for a long time. And then I just decided not to look for another job and go all in on my real estate venture. We'll get back to our conversation with
1: Elisa in just a minute.
3: Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. And
1: now, back to our chat with Elisa Covington. There must have been something in the air in 2017 because that's yeah. when Julie and I, before we had met, we were mm-hmm. each individually as well. Sounds like parallel to your path. <laughs> also thinking of quitting our jobs and getting into real estate. So there must have been something in the air that year.
2: Yeah, yeah. a <laughs> good identify. energy. <laughs> yeah, and I can identify with being scared. I still remember I met Annie and she was like, "Yep, just quit my job. I got, I have two boys at home and we're still really young." And she's like. Yep. I just did. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so inspirational. I was like, if she can do it, I can do it too. And I went home literally that weekend after I met her and quit my job. But yeah, (laughs) it's a scary decision. As you're thinking about getting more serious into real estate, it's interesting how you mentioned that you had this deal that didn't go well, and then you still made a profit, right? And mm-hmm. that was the thing that gave you the confidence. And I always talk about this, like in anything that I do, I always need to have a certain level of confidence before I proceed. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: it sounds like that deal serve gave you many lessons and served mm-hmm. many purposes for you to get you to kind of like where you are today, but that didn't come without taking some risks, right? And Mm -hmm. calculated risks, I'm sure. I always think that it's hard sometimes to really know what the outcome is going to be before you jump into something, but Mm -hmm. we have to search for little cues that give us the confidence to feel like I'm heading sort of in this right direction. So I love that. As far as I want to ask this question, because I am definitely one of those people who thought that flipping is Super risky. When I was Mm -hmm. researching stuff in 2016, that was what I was looking for. We live in a great area in the San Francisco Bay Area for flipping at that time, Mm -hmm. too, 2016, 2017. But I was so scared. I totally thought like, oh, my gosh, like I can't imagine plunking down like 50 grand (laughs) into this and like potentially not seeing the market move or not seeing the value be there. And so it was really scary for me. But as we now roll into potentially recessionary times, I hate using this word and I hate talking about it because I think it cues people <laughs> that we're heading for something. But what are your thoughts on flipping and development too? It sounds like you've done some development, particularly at this point in time where we're about to roll into maybe a period of pulling back. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I actually think you can make money in real estate in any market. It's mm-hmm. not even house flipping. It's not a market specific type of investing. You can make money when the market goes up. You can make money when the market goes down as well, because luckily as a house flipper, you are kind of on two sides of the transaction. You purchase the house and then you sell the house. So if the market goes up, it's very hard to buy good deals because the inventory is tight and there's too much demand. So it's really difficult to locate good deals, but then when the market goes down, good deals are everywhere. So now I have too many projects because they're just just good deals are so easy to find.
3: Uh And
0: when the market goes down, it's a little harder to sell, but if you are able to get really good deals, then Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about selling it.
2: You must have some method or like mechanism in your underwriting that helps you account for like Mm -hmm. the market, right? I'm totally with you. I've never been about like, now is not the right time. I think that as long as the deal pencils and it's a great Mm -hmm. opportunity and you're being conservative in your underwriting, you should always continue to invest. I think it's the Mm -hmm. folks who try to play the timing, the market thing that inevitably end up losing. You can never time the market. (laughs) So how do you account for this in in the world of flipping? How are you accounting for like the shift that we're potentially rolling Mm -hmm. into?
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So as I mentioned earlier, you want to be very conservative with your underwriting. You want to always underestimate the after repair value and overestimate your rehab cost. And also, I think about the worst case scenario. When I purchase a house, I always think, what's the worst case that could happen in two, three months after this renovation is done? I think real estate, the good thing about real estate is the market is not as volatile as the stock market or Bitcoin. Like it can go up and down like a roller coaster. Like real estate market changes way slower because it's so hard. It's not liquid, right? You cannot sell a house in a day. It takes like at least 30 days or sometimes even 45 days or two, three months. And during this time, because real estate is not as liquid, the market changes much more slower. So you purchase the house, and then you flip it in two, three months. And then I think the worst case scenario is the market could decline by maybe 15%. So if that's the case, then I want to have at least a 15% margin in my underwriting, so that even if the worst case scenario happens, I can still at least break even.
2: That's interesting. And so, so the fifteen percent margin is where you kind of leave the buffer for market fluctuation. Basically, is mm-hmm. like wait. so fascinating. But
0: also, I'm already conservative with the after repair value. Mm-hmm. So, oftentimes, if the market goes down a little bit by like five percent, ten percent, I still make a
2: pretty good profit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. I never mm-hmm. did get into flipping. Annie, you, you didn't, I don't think you, did. you know, you guys did one, didn't you? I thought oh, you, we did one. one. Yeah, we remember- did one. <laughs> I kind of stuffed it
1: back in my memory. It went okay. We made a profit. It was fine, yeah. but it was a lot of work because we didn't have all those
2: systems that you have set up. Right, yeah, yeah. But well, so fascinating. So fun to hear your story. So glad that we had you on the show. It's been fun to hear about your wins and some losses as well, but we're going to move to the last part of the show, the life and money show spotlight round, where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the Mm -hmm. first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? I think to me,
0: it's really important to not just take care of my own family, just make a good profit and do things I love, but also to help others. So I have a YouTube channel where I make content that can teach people to invest in real estate and also how to remodel homes. And I've got to know a lot of subscribers, a lot of my Instagram followers who are interested in real estate investing, house flipping, and I've shared my knowledge with them. I think I have this abundance mindset where if everybody helps others, then the world will be better and everybody's life will improve. And I believe there are enough deals to go around. There's enough money to be made by everybody.
2: Oh, yeah. And as Tony Robbins says, the secret to living is giving, right? I think that when you're giving, you're actually helping yourself the most in a way because you're giving and you're helping other people. But in a way, like the feeling that you get from giving is like so powerful and has so Mm -hmm. much helps give you that momentum you need to help change your life as well.
0: So I've also written a book recently, flipping houses, quick start guide, and it covers pretty much everything about house flipping. And a lot of my subscribers and followers have purchased the book and they find it helpful in guiding their beginning of the journey.
2: Awesome. Well, that sounds like an amazing resource. And I don't know, maybe we'll start an arm of house flipping here.
0: Thanks. I think that would be a fun business. Even though I've been in the business for five years, I still feel so passionate about it. Every time I find a good deal, I'm so excited.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Yes, I know. Same here. It's been a roller coaster of a ride for sure. All right. Well, second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now?
0: Uh, there are a lot of things. I think HELOC that I mentioned earlier is one trick that I really like. I've actually got like three different HELOCs like over the time of the just last maybe five, six years, because I purchased like primary residence and then I sold it, closed down the HELOC and then purchased another primary residence and then got another HELOC. And every time I always, it's like a kind of a rainy day funds that you can tap into. You don't have to use it all the time, but when you need it, you take money out and then you pay it back. And the interest is so at that low level. And another thing I think people probably don't think of that often, and it might be controversial, but I actually don't believe in putting money aside for 401k. I think having 401k is good if you are not an investor, like a savvy investor, you put money aside because... Like Otherwise, you may spend all of your monthly income. But if you are a savvy investor and you have a good way of investing your money, the return you get from the money that you invest is probably a lot higher than the money you can get from 401k. So in my case, a lot of times I can double my investment in a year's time. So I actually don't have a 401k account.
2: Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. I heard (laughs) some random podcast like five, six years ago that was like, learn the truth about what the 401k really is. And ever since I found out why the 401k was even created in the first place and that it's really like other people who are smarter than you taking that money, reinvesting it for their own (laughs) use um, while they Mm -hmm. pay you pennies on the dollar, I was like, oh my gosh. And I cut it off at that moment. I don't know. I think if you can They say like, if you can invest or contribute funds to at least get the match that like, that's the minimum you should do, but maybe not. But But
0: for real estate investors, nobody's matching our 401k because we're (laughs)
2: self-employed. Yes. Yes. But for anyone out there who is employed thinking about contributing or forego that cash and figure out how you can reroute the cash to some kind of other investment and see how you buy a rental property. There you go. Or Mm -hmm. invest passively in a syndication like Annie and I did Mm -hmm. to grow and scale. So love that. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place?
0: I think the house flipping business is essentially in the business of improving. We improve houses, improve people's living environment and we improve the neighborhood. A lot of times when I'm flipping a house, some neighbors would come talk to me because the house that I'm working on was the eyesore of the neighborhood. And they are so happy that I'm working on the house. So we actually increase the value of their homes too. So that's one Mm -hmm. way. And another way is As I mentioned, to help others get into the real estate investing and to really take control of their own lives from like being laid off by my job. I realized that how fragile when you are working for others, it's really like you never know when you get laid off, when your job is actually not as secure as you might think. Mm-hmm. There's a saying, I'm not sure if you guys have heard, if you haven't been laid off in the Silicon Valley, then your life isn't complete. <laughs> 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 yeah, my coworkers were talking about it because we had so many rounds of layoff at the company. And when the company direction changes, your job may not be Mm -hmm. secure. So take control of your own life and achieve financial freedom on your own. It's a lot safer than working for some Fortune 500 companies.
1: Cannot agree more. It's like a dark bucket list item, getting laid off in Silicon Valley. (laughs) But I love how you're talking about revitalizing communities and really creating that win-win. I know Mm -hmm. our listeners are going to want to learn more, especially if they are new to flipping homes or considering it. So tell them what's the best place that they can go to learn more and perhaps get a copy of your book.
0: Sure. My book is for sale on Amazon. And I have a YouTube channel where I teach people how to invest in real estate, how to flip houses and how to remodel their homes. It's called transform real estate.
1: Perfect. You're like a mini little HGTV celebrity right there. (laughs) Alisa Covington, founder and CEO of Transform Real Estate Investments. Alisa, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and your wisdom with us and our listeners today. Thank you guys so much for having me. You've been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out Goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.